grab a Bible. Everybody's going to need the Bible. We're not throwing the, this scripture up on the screen, so you're going to need it for yourself. We want you to be able to hold your own Bible or your phone that has the Bible on it, uh, and so you can investigate Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. If you don't have a Bible, under the chair in front of you, you'll find uh, close to you a black Bible. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be here. We're starting just a, a, a new series today, and it's a short series on the issue of worship. And so I, I want us to be able to jump in with this together. I want us to be able to investigate the scripture together. Uh, I'm gonna just share from the word of God this morning and then we're gonna have a chance just to engage God's heart uh, in worship. And so I'll, I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna jump uh, in. Let's pray. Father, we feel so very thankful uh, that you're here in this place. feel so very, very thankful that we don't um, live isolated and distant from you. But you're the, the father who closes the gap. You um, are the one who runs to meet us. That's what your word says. So you're here in this moment to run to us to stir our hearts, to remind us of who you are, to show us new realities, to give us new insight. And the reason that we're coming to your word is because it's alive, it's active, and it's able to transform. And I think maybe the, our confession this morning is the one thing that we desperately need is to not have more of us. We've done plenty of us in this life and it never works out. We need more of you and all the joy and peace and life and power that you bring. So that's why we're here and that's why we're opening the word. We love you, God. Be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I hope you guys had a, a great fall break. Um, we, we had a great fall break, got a chance just to get away for a little bit. Uh, with our family, got away to the beach, and it was actually warm, and the water was great. Loved being at the beach, and it reminded me of probably the most significant moment of one of the most significant moments of my life took place on uh, a beach in Fort Lauderdale. So, uh, what I what you discover, you know, when you start dating someone, you kind of you're trying to figure out all the cool things about that person. They're trying to figure out the cool things about you, and then you're trying to decide whether or not these cool things are compatible. And you want to do these cool things together for forever, right? This is what dating is about. Everybody's like, really? Um, and so one of the things that I, f I discovered very quickly about my girlfriend at the time, uh, Megan, uh, was that she loved the beach. And so the mountains were neat, but they were for like looking at in artwork. That if you were going to go somewhere, you go to the beach, okay? And so I discovered this about her. So I thought, okay, if I'm... If I, if I'm going to, you know, win this girl's heart, it's going to be, it's going to be, the beach is going to be involved in this thing. And so when it came time for me to decide, I no longer want to date this person, but I would like to live forever with this person, uh, you get engaged. And I thought, okay, the coolest way that you could possibly get engaged for someone who loves the beach is to do it on the beach, to get engaged on the beach, right? And so uh, what I did is I concocted this plan and it was all super secretive. Uh, and so what I decided is, so we live in um, 
where I lived actually in Abilene, Texas, and uh, my girlfriend at the time lived in uh, Lubbock, were you in Lubbock? Lubbock at the time. Uh, and so those, that's West Texas, and there is no beach anywhere near there whatsoever. <laughs> it's the opposite of beach. And so we were there, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to secretly kidnap her, because that's how all good relationships start, <laughs> by forcing people to do something they have no idea what they're doing, okay? So I kidnap, uh, decided I was going to kidnap her, and I decided, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to... I have, I have an aunt that lives in Fort Lauderdale. So we're gonna, I'm gonna kidnap her. I'm, and I told her what I told her is, I just started a job at a new church and I said, uh, they're having this like pastors and their spouses come thing come together. And so why don't you come hang out with this thing at this church? And, and so instead of, but instead of going to uh, Abilene for this thing, I started driving towards Dallas. And she was like, what are you, where are we going? What are you, what's happening here? And I, so I gave her a note and I said, um, the note said, you're being kidnapped and you can't ask question. <clears throat> this, is, this is romance at its highest. And so <clears throat> uh, took her, got on the airplane, wouldn't even let her find out where we were going. She just said, and of course we were on Southwest, so we like, we'd like puddle jumped. It was like from, from like Dallas to Houston, then over to New Orleans. Then, over, then we finally got over to Fort Lauderdale. We got there eventually. But uh, so we get there, and when we show up, a limo is there to pick us up, and inside of the limo is a dozen red roses. All right, this, the limo takes us over to my aunt's house, and at my aunt's house, I had had her mom ship three dresses for her to choose from and three sets of shoes for her to choose from. Yeah, I'm just building myself up big time. <laughs> this is what this is all about. This, this, this whole story is so you guys think I'm amazing. So... Um, uh, so she, she has dresses to choose from and shoes to choose from. And then, we, uh, with the, then the limo takes us to the, uh, this restaurant that overlooks the beach. And, uh, and so we're having this amazing seafood. And then from there, we just go down uh, from the, the, this restaurant. We go out to the beach and we're walking along the beach. And at some point in time, I just begin like randomly praying out loud. I think I, I was so nervous. I didn't even know what was going on. So I just started praying. And then I just said, like, Lord bless what I'm about to do now. And I dropped down on a knee right there in the sand, opened up the box and asked her to marry me. And she said, yes. So that was good. All right. <clears throat> and all, all of our pictures were both really pasty white because we both knew what was going on. We were like scared to death. And this was about what we we're about to jump into. Um, and it, and it, that was like, the best thing I could possibly do is like all the things that I could possibly do. I was thinking, how could I totally bless her? What, what, what would be the coolest thing to do? What would be the most amazing way to do it? And, I, and it was awesome. And it was this amazing story we would tell. And the only problem, and all the girls, all the girls are going, oh my gosh, that's an amazing story. And all the dudes are going, oh my gosh, you've got nowhere to go but down from here, dude. What were you thinking? Why would you ever do that? I mean, and literally, because literally everything else since then has been like, you want to kind of go somewhere cool? I mean, it, it won't measure up to what we've done before, but, you know, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll go on a vacation. It'll, it'll be fine at the lake, you know? So everything's downhill after that, right? You can know, but I wanted it to be as, as extravagant as I possibly could be in that moment of life. And the truth is this, everybody loves to be extravagant about something. Everybody has something that they love just kind of being all out about. You might have a hobby, you might have something 
that uh, is really interesting to you and you're super into it. Some of you like study trees or bugs or whatever, but you're into it and you can give yourself to it. But the truth is, is we're all, we all have measures of things that we're willing to be extravagant about. And we might look at the other person and go, I have no idea why you would be extravagant about that thing or why your heart would go crazy about that thing. That makes no sense, but my heart goes crazy about this thing over here. But everybody has something that we're extravagant about. And what we're, ex- what we're willing to be extravagant over is a measuring tool for what we actually value. The things that we're willing, and if you have a set of, if you came in, you got a worship guide on the back is a, a set of notes. If you like to follow along, feel free to fill in those notes. What you're willing to be extravagant about actually tells us, or is a measuring tool for what we really value. So if you value being really cool to your girlfriend at the time, if that's what you value, then you're willing to give everything in order to be that or do that right? Everybody's willing to be extravagant about something. If you don't believe, it, 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 this is for everyone, okay? If you don't believe me, you go find a hunter and talk to the hunter about his gun or his bow, and he'll start talking for hours. You ask him how much money he spent on his gun, all right? That's how it works, right? If you talk to somebody who's in the ballet, ask them how much money they've spent on their outfits over the last seven years in ballet, or you find somebody who's a valedictorian, right? Ask them how many hours and hours they've spent. Somebody who's going for a PhD, how many hours they've spent in the books, right? It's not just about money. It's about like, what am I willing to give myself to? What's important to me? The thing that we're willing to be extravagant for is the measuring tool for the things that we actually value, and the difference is, is that we all value things differently, right? So if you, you find a young guy who like just, just finished college, gets, his, gets, a, you know, gets a job, like a first real paying job, and he doesn't have anything tying him down, he can do, and he goes out and he goes, and he's like, what I really want are a couple of souped up jet skis. That's what I really want, right? He goes out, gets these amazing jet skis, and the single mom is going, that's idiotic, why would you spend that money on jet skis? Because that could buy me like nine months worth of housekeeping, right? That could buy me like, we, we could do that. that. That would be, I could use that money to do that. So that's what I would spend money on. And, and the guy who's, um, the, the family of five or six saying, why would you buy jet skis? You could use that money to go on a vacation to Disney World. Or the, the person that is a farmer is thinking, listen, why would you buy, why would you spend that money on on jet skis, I mean, that, that money could buy me a couple of heifers, you know, or whatever, to milk or whatever, you know, whatever. I don't know. I don't know all the farming language. I think, I think heifer is like a cow or I'm not sure, but right. So everybody's got different ideas about what they're willing to be extravagant about. Everybody has different thoughts about what they're willing to give themselves fully to And extravagance ends up being really in the eye of the beholder. What are you really, what's really worth the investment of the heart? Not just finances, but what's what's really worth the investment of the heart? Because the the bigger question is, is there something of worth that is so great 
that every one of us should be extravagant no matter what? That's the question. Is there something worth being full-hearted with our emotions or with the resource that we have or with the time that we invest in it? Is there something worth one thing? Is there one thing that's worth being extravagant about? I want to pose to you that Jesus, is walk, well, while he was walking on the face of the earth, he had a, a, several people he called to follow him. They called him his, they call, he called them disciples. And those disciples, they were walking with each other, and they were all struggling with the same question. They're all wrestling with this thing as, is there something of great worth and value? And they hadn't found it yet. So if you go to Matthew chapter 26, Jesus has something to say about this issue. Now, before we read it, let me just set this up. Jesus is six days from being crucified, killed, put on a cross, his life taken from him. So six days out before trial and execution, and he goes to this little town of Bethany. All right, Bethany is this little bitty town on the backside of the, the Mount of Olives. That's where Bethany is, this poor little town. And he comes to spend time with his friends. And his name, uh, uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, it's their home. And he's gonna spend time with them. And I think it's amazing, by the way, that of all the people Jesus wanted to hang out with as he's on his way to the cross, he just wants to hang out with his friends. I think this is, there's another sermon in that somewhere. But he's spending time with his friends and one of his friends does something so extravagant, everyone else in the room becomes angry and disappointed in what this girl does. I want you to read this with me. Matthew 26, we're gonna start in verse six. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman, we know from John that this is Mary, came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now, here's the question. What's going on here? This, this totally doesn't make sense. I am, I am assuming you've been to many dinner parties, and no one has ever welcomed you and then when like, dumped something on your head, okay? That's never happened to you, unless, well, possible in your college days that happened, but that's a difference. It's different, okay? So Jesus walks in, and she, pour, she wastes, pours this stuff all, all over his head. Now, here's what happens. Uh, 2,000 years ago, this is a time that is before there is deodorant. This is a time before there's toothpaste. This is a time before there are fragrant shampoos, okay? There is no head and shoulders. It doesn't exist, right? And so the truth is, is people stink. Now, I'm not gonna try, I, I, I don't wanna try to ruin your images or thoughts, but I'm going to anyway. Jesus stank. And you're like, can you say that in church? You're, you're, God might strike you with lightning. 
I want you to hear this. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man. And he was highly accustomed to vigorous work. All right, he was a carpenter. Let me tell you something. Jesus worked up him him a sweat lather, okay? Like pit stains, the whole nine yards. Okay, that's Jesus. I just want you to go there with me just for a minute, okay? So these men, and don't, you guys are looking at me all funny. Ladies, tell me, you, those of you who are married, tell me you don't know about man stank, okay? You know about it. If you've had teenage boys in your house, you know about young man stank, okay? Get it? Get it? Are y'all with me on this? You're going, yes, we are. We just don't know how this is relevant to anything. That's what you're thinking. What I'm saying is this. Jesus came over with 12 other dudes into a house. Guess what? This place is going to smell nasty. This thing is going to smell right. Here's what's happening. It was customary when you were hosting people, when they would come into a house, that they would take ointments so this is why ointments and spices were so, they were literally how they traded currency in the day. So important because of the day they were living in. And you would come to a dinner party and that what they would do is they would dab. A host would dab ointment on you and it would help defray the smell in the home, all right? So this isn't some weird thing going on here, okay? This is a customary thing. But instead of the dab, of the ointment, she walks up to Jesus. She pours the entire thing out over him. This is what's going on, all right? Now, what she does begins to draw out the anger of everyone in the room. She doesn't just do this dab. In fact, the, this ver- the version of the story in Mark tells us that she takes this alabaster flask of perfume uh, and she smashes the bottle and pours it out, meaning she doesn't just pour it. It's, she smashes this thing and pours it over him. And it flows down over him. Now, look at the fallout of this act that she does. Matthew 26, verse 8. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste. Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. So Mark tells us that not only is she, are they indignant, all right, they're scolding her for this. They're saying we could have done so many things with this money, with this ointment. In fact, John chapter 12, where we see this story, tells us that this alabaster flask of ointment was worth an annual salary in the day. So if you could maybe get your head around somewhere to the tune of thirty to $35,000 is what this uh, perfume is worth. Thirty dollars to $35,000. She takes $35,000 worth of perfume, smashes the flask and pours it over his head. And the disciples are going, you crazy, insane little girl. How could you be so careless? There's so many things we could have done with these dollars in ministry. Understand 
what this is for a girl, a little girl of that, of that time, for her to own this is without question her, uh, uh, if you will, a life savings. For her to have, it's nothing she could have actually pulled together herself. It was a pr- very likely um, because what we see throughout scripture, Mary and Martha, had, they weren't with parents any longer. They didn't have husbands. This was their, this was their if you will, their life. This, is, this was their, um, uh, what do you get when somebody gives it to you? Inheritance, thank you, that's the word. This is her inheritance is what this likely is. This represents financial security. And can I tell you, when we think, we think about financial security, here's what's happening is they're being occupied by a Roman government. You think peace is tenuous at best in this day. This represents everything she has. If anything were to go badly in Roman-occupied Israel at that time, this represents all of her security, all of her ability. I mean, this could have been, uh, there's a ton of things that this could have purchase for them. Listen, she says, listen, I don't care about the security that this has bought me. I don't care the uh, indignance of what you think. I have found something of greater worth than any security could ever purchase for me. And here's, I love where the story goes. She didn't only smash the jar. She anoints Jesus. She pours it over his head Undoubtedly, what happens is it runs down his body, down to his feet. And in John, we find out that Mary comes down to his feet and he begins, she begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. Now listen, that isn't just awkward for to, I mean, that would be awkward in modern day, right? Where, where even interactions between males and females is normalized. Even that would be weird in this day. Can I describe to you how vastly and radically inappropriate it was for a girl to take her hair down in front of anyone and then to go at the feet. Feet were the grossest thing in the, in, the, in fact, if you, you've heard the scripture uh, where <clears throat> John the Baptist says, I'm not, an, I'm, I am unworthy to even untie Jesus' sandals. What he's saying is I'm lower than, I'm lower than dirt. Uh, feet were the lowest of the low, if you will, in their culture. And she gets down and begins to wipe his feet with her hair with this ointment. Total, complete, utter extravagance. Completely and utterly given. Beyond anything that anyone had possibly, could possibly imagine. And it strikes a nerve just a little bit in you as you're reading this story. Now, we have 2,000 years of hindsight because we know where Jesus was going, right? But think for a moment. The disciples still have yet to understand what Jesus is about to do. They don't know what's going on. They still don't believe he's going, even though he's preached and even though he's told them what's happening, they don't believe, they don't know that he's going to the cross. But we see this girl giving of her all that she was and all that she had. And it just strikes a nerve a little bit in you. This is off the chart. Is it really necessary? Was it necessary? That's the question we tend to ask. 
was this really necessary? Is, is this what Jesus was commanding or demanding in any way, form, or fashion? Was this really necessary, this kind of pouring out an, a, a, an annual wage worth of perfume smashed, given, I mean, poured over him? There's so much that could have been done with that. There's so much. Think about the church that's being built ahead. Think about all that's going to have to happen in the days ahead as the church is being established. Why on earth is this thing being done? My question, the real question, is not what were the disciples thinking, and the real question is not what we think about that. The real question is this, what does Jesus think about this? That's the real question. Story is not about what the disciples think. It's not about what we think about. This story is about what does Jesus feel about this? What does he think about this act? What does he think about this mentality? What does he think about this perspective of this little girl? That's the question. What does he say? What's in his heart? So let's look at what he has to say. Here's what Jesus says, verse 10. But Jesus, aware of this, what he's, he's aware of their disdain, right? They've just chided her. They just spoke against her. They just told her, you've completely and utterly wasted this. We could have done so many things with this. Aware of this, he says to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Now, does Jesus say, listen, Mary, I appreciate that, but that's, that's too much. That, that's overboard. Does it say that? He doesn't go, listen, this is awkward. You're embarrassing everyone in the room. He's not worried about that. He doesn't say, listen, wisdom says we could have done something else with this. Doesn't say any of those things. He says, listen, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Now, I, <clears throat> there are beautiful things all over the earth, beautiful places to go. I mean, the, the leaves are finally, by the grace of God, starting to turn here. All right, fall has finally arrived. It's beautiful things to look at. Have you, have you ever thought about when, when you've looked at something beautiful and kind of what it does to your soul? It, maybe it was a, your child was born or maybe you got to go to an amazing place or you had an amazing experience and you saw, you felt like you saw beauty, what it does to the human heart. There's something about beauty. So for Jesus to say, this is beautiful, what she's done here, is to indicate this is what moves his heart. This is what stirs, you ever wonder, like, what stirs God? You ever ask that question? Like, what really moves him? 
looking throughout Scripture. Can I just say, how crazy is it that there is something a human can do to stir the heart of the creator of the universe? And I gotta be honest with you, what is there inside of us? Is there anything inside of us that really wants to see the heart of God stirred, moved? Jesus know that, knows that this action is not really about what looks extravagant on the outside. Because this is not what that's about. What he's actually pointing to is heart. See, here's the deal. I think that we think that the way that we're extravagant toward God is that we have to do the big, outlandish thing that everybody can see. That's what extravagance really is. It's this, what could we possibly dream up and do that shows how much we love God, how, that displays how much we love God. And I believe that God wants to do amazing things in and through his people. He wants to do amazing things through this church. He wants to do big time works all over this city through New River Fellowship. I, I absolutely believe that. But all of the doing and all of the external and all of the extravagant things we might be able to do, it starts in one place. Is there extravagance in the heart, from the heart? Extravagance actually comes from the heart. This extravagant act is the expression of just true love and adoration for who God is. No other way and no other thing. Listen, this was done in a, in a microcosm in a house of a few people. But what this is, is the expression of a heart that truly adores and truly hungers for God. You can see it. Listen, listen. There are all throughout Scripture things, massive things done, expressions of obedience, expressions of purity or piety or whatever. People look, in fact, the religious leaders of the day looking to show through their external prayers. And you know what Jesus says about all the external stuff that's going on? Gross. It's one thing to say, listen, look at what we can do and let's make sure we put on our church face and make sure that we have our life kind of cleaned up, and make sure we, everything looks really good on the external, everything looks good on the outside. And Jesus is going, listen, that, I don't, none of that moves my heart. It's not what I'm looking for. Jesus proves over and over and over in scripture, what I'm looking for it's not just the external. What I'm looking for is the internal. It's, listen, it's why he says, listen, you're always going to have the poor with you. If you're not careful, you could think that Jesus was being somehow insensitive to the poor. Here's what he's saying. Listen, we're going to, in fact, we're going to minister to the poor and needy. In fact, Jesus was the first person really in all of human history who dignified the poor. And said, listen, they're going to have, they're going to have high places in the kingdom. Because I'm looking for humble hearts. 
You're always going to have the poor with you. You're going to do ministry to the poor. I dignify the poor. In fact, I'm going to call the church to minister to this. But listen, there's one thing that comes before ministry. There is one thing that supersedes what you can do for me. There's one thing that comes before any act of obedience unto me. It is this. I want a heart that truly adores me. That's what I'm looking for. Before all the things that we're going to go do, what I want to do is work on this thing inside. And this is the most critical piece, if you will, to what it means to follow and walk with Jesus. He's going to say there's things that are worth your investment. There are going to be things that are of worth and value in this life. But I am and forever will be worthy of everything that you have to give. I'm worthy of all that you have to give, and I'm looking for a heart that's ready to go there. God, God is looking for a heart that simply just treasures it. So all kinds of things we're gonna do in this life. I want you to hear this. There are all kinds, of, in fact, you were created, Scripture says this, every one of us was created in Christ before the foundation of the earth to do good works. There's all kinds of things we were meant to do for his namesake. But it starts with a heart condition. Total, utter devotion given to him. And it's from that place that God will begin to move and change the spiritual atmosphere of the places around us. More than ministry, more than titles, more than recognition or fame or fortune, is just him. That's what Mary gets. This is where worship actually starts. I want you to hear this. Before we ever sing a song, before we ever come to an assembly, true worship actually happens when our heart is stirred for who he is. It's not beautiful to God because it's publicly audacious. It's beautiful to God because what she did was just genuine out of the depth of who she was, out of what she believed in him. In fact, if you don't believe me, there's three times in all of scripture you'll see Mary, three times, three different stories. Guess what? Every time you read about Mary and Bethany, she's at Jesus' feet every time, every time. This is where worship begins for us. We're gonna sing songs. In fact, we're, we're gonna be coming together here in just a minute. We're gonna come together and we're gonna sing songs. But listen, in the singing of the song, <clears throat> God is gonna push past the notes. He's gonna push past the sounds. And he's gonna push past your voice. And he's gonna go, what's going on? wants to know that we're ready to trust him, that we're willing to give our lives away, that we're ready to say, listen, whatever things of security I try to hold on to, it's nothing. And whatever places I try to find my worth and value outside of you, it's, it's empty. I want my heart to treasure you 
above all things. This is where worship begins. Because church, listen, worship is so much greater than showing up here on Sundays and lifting our hands and our voices in song. We lift our hands and voices in song because of what's going on inside of us here. Because we've recognized the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We're gonna lift our hands and we're gonna sing songs at the top of our voices. The top of our, whatever, what's this phrase? Top of your lungs? Yeah, so I don't even, I don't even know if that's a thing, but you're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna cry out here. In fact, my prayer is that this church becomes a place. I, I pray that this, the cars would hear us sing. We try to turn it up a little bit loud just so you can sing, because some of you, are, you know you can't sing worth of nothing, right? And we just try to turn the volume up so you can sing anyway. This is, honestly, it's what we're doing. You ever wonder if some, if some of you are like in here going, huh? well, it's, it's kind of loud in here. The answer is yes because we just want you to keep singing. And we'll just drown your voice out, but we want you singing. Listen, but we don't want you singing loud because it's cool to sing loud in Franklin, Tennessee. We want you singing loud because God has shown you who he is. Here's what's amazing about this story. He, He knows why she's done it. She smashes this thing and he says, don't you fuss at her. What she has done for me is beautiful because I'm not always going to be here. I'm going to leave, and she's preparing me for burial. Guess what? Jesus' disciples, they have no idea he's going to the cross. You know what? This little girl knows. Now get that around in your head. We're not going to hear about this girl ever again. She isn't going to write a book of the Bible. She's not going to write. We have no other record. But I love, look at this. I want you to look at this. Matthew 26, verse 13. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So here's what he's saying. This issue is central to the gospel. Wherever the gospel goes forward, this story is going to be told because the gospel at the end of the day is not about how much ministry we can do. What it's actually about is eyes that open to the magnificence of the Son of God on a heart that is given to him. And from that place, we'll do many works. From that place, we're going to obey From that place, we're going to go out into the city and we're going to go out into the nations. We're going to do that. But church, New River Fellowship will first and foremost be a place where our hearts are given, rendered just completely undone for the Savior of the world. We want hearts that are stirred up. This girl listened to Jesus in a way the disciples still hadn't figured it out. She knew he was going to the cross. She knew he was going to the cross. She knew the the details in his heart. And I pray, even as I preach this, I pray God does more of this inside of me. I want everything that we do to come from an actual, true place of worship. Uh, uh, Ben, you guys can go ahead and come up, and I'm going to finish with this. Listen, 
This story is supposed to be told wherever the gospel goes forward because Jesus is worth whatever extravagance, whatever step we have to take. And you can throw that up on the screen. Whatever, whatever step of extravagance we have to take, that's what he's worth. I want you to hear that. And so here's my question. Listen. Here's the beauty about being given to him, about being given to the Lord. Is that this isn't about the show. In fact, I maybe might put it this way. Extravagance for some of you is gonna look different than for someone else and how it manifests itself outward. But the question is, is are you willing to go there? Do you believe that he's worth it? Some of you are actually gonna be called to lift your hands in worship. You're not, a, you're not a person that lifts your hands. You don't do that. All right, but I will say this. If you lift your hands at a football game, let me do, I'll, I'll put it this way. You do not have permission to lift your hands at a football game and not lift them in church. I'm gonna say that again. <laughs> you don't have permission to go to a football game and be pumping your fists and sit here stone-faced. That's not okay. God is worth everything. Listen, you, if you get more excited about Marcus Mariota than you do Jesus, we got issues, okay? We're gonna talk about that. Now, I'm okay with being excited about football. All I'm saying is this. We don't, What's hypocritical is to not come in here and think, oh man, I'm a mess and I don't have my, you know, our marriage is kind of broken and I don't have things right and I've got some issues parenting and I have some broken relationships. Listen, we come in here and we sing and we lift hands because Jesus Christ has given his all for us. Not because we've got life figured out. We worship not because we finally figured out how to live this life. We worship because he figured it out for us and we're coming to have all that he wants to give to us. We worship from a place of who God is, not who we are. We lift our voices in song because he's worthy of every ounce of affection we have to give. And so some of you will need to be called to take a step out. We got some space here. If you need some space, take some space, but get before the Lord. Maybe extravagance looks like, listen, it's time to set the alarm for 20 minutes earlier and get up and just say, God, I want to be about you before I'm about anything else today. Maybe that's the extravagant step you're supposed to take. Maybe extravagance means I'm, I'm, I'm giving up control over some areas of my life. Maybe that's extravagance for you. Maybe extravagance means, listen, I'm going to forgive someone that I don't want to forgive because I've been hurt so badly, but I'm going to do this because Jesus did this for me. This is what the gospel is. When I didn't deserve to be forgiven, he forgave me. Listen, extravagance for him, true worship is gonna look different for every person, but I will say this, God's calling our hearts to a place of worship. You guys stand with me. I'm gonna pray and ask God to do that. Father, we're just, we're here. And just even as I pray, I'm thinking about the delight, Father, you had in the Son, your Son who was perfect, 
who went to the cross and went to the grave and you brought him out alive and you made him a substitution for us. Each one of us should have died a criminal's death on the cross. But you said, no, I don't want that. I'm going to send my son so you don't have to pay the price. Lord, we want worship to rise up. In fact, right where you're at, would you just ask him, God, help worship. True worship arise in me. True adoration. Doesn't matter what it looks like on the external. What needs to happen is a heart that is stirred for the magnificence of the Son of God. Would you stir me? It's just right where you're at. Say, stir my soul, stir my heart for you. I may not have all my circumstances lined out, but Jesus, you are my perfect. You're my perfect answer. You're my perfect forgiveness. You're my perfect mercy. You're my perfect peace. You're my perfect power. And I'm not leaving this room. I've got 15 minutes left here, and I'm not leaving this room until my heart is stirred for you. Would you do an act of worship in us? God, it takes you to worship you. We're asking for you to come into this place and release true worship, release true hearts that uh, love you and adore you and want to be closer to you. And we may not understand everything about you, but Lord, we're saying, open our eyes and show us who you are. Release words and release songs and release truth out of our mouths. I pray now that you'd be in this place and would you have your way in our hearts. Would you stir us towards great things in you? We ask right now in the name of Jesus.